0: brandon briscoe and welcome to another episode of the postscript living faith bible institute's weekly podcast and youtube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from lfbi and across the living faith fellowship each week we come together and have conversations with these pastors and professors missionaries uh, with the hope of edifying you and strengthening your faith but also uh, intriguing you as it concerns uh, LFBI and our Bible Institute. We wanna make sure that, that we are introducing you to some of the content that uh, you're gonna be learning as a student in our Bible school. And so if you have interest in that, uh, always we wanna point you to lfbi.org. Uh, we just started up uh, our fall semester And um, if you've got questions about our school, lfbi.org is where you want to go. Now this week, I'm gonna be having a conversation with a very, very dear and close friend of mine, pastor, missionary, Doug. Uh, And uh, he has been a missionary Uh, for 15 years in india and most recently cambodia and this is going to be uh an episode where i think especially for those of you who are praying and thinking about the mission field uh that this is going to be one of those things that, that really inspires you and uh and causes you to have greater faith as it concerns what god is doing in the world now, I, I want to point something out to you right away is that this episode is going to be a little bit different. In fact, if you usually watch us on YouTube, uh, you might realize right away that, um, that you're not going to actually see Doug's face. And in a moment here, the screen is going to go to just a postscript icon and, and you won't actually ever see Doug. Uh, and the reason is because Doug needs to keep a level of anonymity. Uh, he's hoping to get back into India uh, soon to do more missions work. And uh, and some of the governments that, that our missionaries are going to uh, are very, very tough or strict about this issue of Christians coming into their country. And so we want to protect him as much as possible. And so we want to thank you in advance uh, for being patient with us, but also helping us to protect the identity uh, of Doug this week. And so let's just get right into it. Uh, Pastor Doug, Thank you for being with us. And, uh, I'm so grateful to have you here. This is a long time coming. We've been friends for such a long yeah. time. You being on the show seems like a very natural thing. Well, thank you so much for having us come. And we, we love to share the
1: story, what God has done in our life, because I'm, I'm just a nobody from Wyandotte County, you know, mm-hmm. but I've known you for several, over 20 years. And yeah. we go way back and being trained in the, in the same church and the same discipleship that we've received from the Lord. And, uh, it's, it's by the grace of God that we're able to continue and to do anything for God and to, to reach the nations. And
0: it, it's so true. And and before you know, I ask you any questions, I'll just relay this story. I remember the first time I met you was at a missions conference and you were speaking and uh, talking about India. In fact, you had just, I think you had just gotten to India and you were back for this particular conference. And uh, the things that you shared uh, Man, I just had to come talk to you. So after the service we I came down and we spoke and I knew right away that I needed to get to to India and and, and take a mission's trip and see the work. And uh, eventually I got to do that and it was a huge blessing and India is a place that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm I'm really looking forward to having an opportunity to share that with our listeners this week. Mm-hmm. So, I want to I want to start let's maybe just let you share your story, mm-hmm. your testimony. Tell us a little about bit about your salvation yeah. and about how you came to get discipled and built up in the faith.
1: Yeah. So I, I grew up in Wyandotte County in Kansas City, Kansas as just a, a lonely boy that never went to church and and I had no knowledge of God. And and uh, I got caught up in a, a, a God's hand in my life that God reached me through my Christian friends in my, my high school. And so God did something radical that... Uh, life used to have no meaning. I remember mm-hmm. growing up and not having, you know, not knowing any Christians and, and sitting there in Wyandotte County and, and existing in vanity. Mm-hmm. But then the, the Christians in my school had a prayer meeting. This is back in 1988, 1989. Mm-hmm. They had a prayer meeting at, uh, I went to Washington High School. And in Washington High School, there were about 10 Christians in the whole school out of, you know, several thousand people in the school and that they would meet every single morning and have prayer and bring their bibles to school Mm -hmm. and they would put their bible on top of their math book and so when i met them the first chance for me to to see what a christian is and the joy that they had and how i I used to mock them you know and Mm -hmm. make fun of them and that's not for me you know but then see the peace that they had and and they would pray for me and invite me to meetings youth for christ meetings and and there was uh youth for Christ clubs in the high schools. Mm. So back in the 1980s, there was a revival of of youth coming to Christ because there was a, there was a Christian club in every high school. Right. And so um, they, they patiently prayed for me and brought me to the youth meetings, brought me to church and I heard the gospel. And after many months, after a long time of them praying for me and loving me, I finally saw who Christ was and mm-hmm. opened a Bible and understood what Jesus did for me. And, uh, and it was, it was in the 1980s that I got saved and received Jesus and, and then immediately joined the prayer meeting. So mm-hmm. I had no chance to, to, to backslide because right. the, the, uh, the, the fire of God was there in the high school and to join those who were on fire. And so uh, in, in one year's time, the prayer meeting in my high school went from 10 students to 40 Mm-hmm. We saw about thirty of our high school students come to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's great. Through several outreaches, sev- several churches involved, and so it's from that experience of of coming to Christ in high school, and then immediately being thrown into a, a situation where. We are missionaries to our high school. Mm-hmm. Suddenly life became meaningful. Right. And life is missions. You know, mm-hmm. you wake up in the morning, you have to study for your math test, but it's more important that you're taking your Bible to school. You're taking Christ to the campus. And you're gonna share Christ. You're the light of Christ to to the lost students in your campus. Yeah. This was the introduction as I was a new Christian, mm. discipled by those who were doing that. And so that I think that itself made me a gave me the call to missions from the first day that i received jesus
0: wow yeah that's great and that's what <laughs> so many young believers need is to understand that they're missionaries from the moment they accept christ they need to know mm. that, that part of their purpose and part of their calling is to is to share that same truth with other people so that's a really powerful story so how did you come to a place where you're being discipled and trained uh for the work in, in a much more intentional level
1: yeah so that 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 is the the key thing in my life that that I needed discipleship, and the the ministry that I was involved in was not a church. It was just a parachurch ministry of mm-hmm. a bunch of youth having a club, right? And we didn't know what a, a good church was until we met the Baptist Temple. Mm. And so I came out to KCBT and met, you know, Pastor Jeff Adams, several of the pastors there, and and got discipled. You know, so then I really learned the Bible, and then mm-hmm. I, I learned what it was to have a, a long-term vision to follow Christ instead of just the, the, the emotional revival that can happen in the beginning right. of your youth. And so it established me, mm-hmm. gra- grounded me, rooted me deep into the Word of God to, to realize that if, if I'm going to be a missionary, it can't just be an excitement of a youth, uh, some youth activity, it has to be the Word of God, it has to be deep in the Word of God for it to last. And that gave me the the chance to when I be when I got a chance to become a missionary overseas, then I had something to teach. I had something to give. I had something right. to, yeah. to
0: pass on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because so many believers, you know, they 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 come to know Christ and then they nothing else happens after that. And I'm sure that's true on the mission field, especially because mm-hmm. you have missionaries who are working at at sharing and evangelizing, but not very many are doing the work of discipleship and, and helping other people to be established just like you were. Yeah. So it's pretty powerful. Now, so you're already you're already jumping into foreign missions and we haven't even gotten there yet, <laughs> but so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the path to the foreign mission field yeah. uh, from a place where you're focused on local missions, whether it was your high school or yeah. your workplace. How did you come to a place where you felt the call of God on your life to go uh, overseas? Well, when when I was
1: discipled at KCBT, and of course you know sam miles was the college pastor and alan shelby was one of our mentors and and i joined the janitorial staff and i and i remember sam miles was one of the the leaders of one of the janitorial teams that i Mm -hmm. used to clean the church with and Mm -hmm. and so uh of course kenny morgan was there and all the guys that we we were raised together in the ministry and but what i joined is becoming in the youth ministry And then going on the streets and i was discipled by a guy named jim and verla baker Mm. who are in uh, harvest baptist church in blue springs Mm -hmm. and so jim and verla had a bus ministry Mm -hmm. and so this kind of trans learning the local mission before the global mission right is that we used to have a bus route right in this neighborhood where we are in midtown we would go up from you know 12th and prospect all the way down towards the plaza Mm. up and down truest up and down, you know, the, the mid, midtown and the inner city, you know? Yeah. And we used to knock on doors every Saturday, me and Jim, his wife Verla, a few other volunteers. And we'd knock on doors every Saturday and make friendships in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Of course, the church was out near Raytown. And we would say, hey, we'll pick you up for church on, on the bus because they didn't have a car, you know? And so Jim did this for almost 30 years. Wow. You know, and I kind of joined in towards the end of the bus ministry. So Jim discipled me. How to go into people's houses and make friends, how to go cross-cultural in your own city, yeah well. and and to learn cross-cultural missions to to forget about your own self and to enter into the lives of other people and mm-hmm. say uh, and get invited into their homes and then to pick them up for church and have a bus. And so we brought them into church and people got saved and and that's what discipled me in mm-hmm. the church. and then then we had prayer meeting. Uh, we had prayer teams, yeah, so. So as our church was sending out missionaries, I joined almost every prayer team that there was. I didn't even know
0: you could do that.
1: Yeah, you can join more than one. I thought
0: you had to commit back then.
1: I thought (laughs) you had to commit to one. Well, like for example, uh, we sent missionaries to Africa, uh, two different teams to Africa, Mm -hmm. and I joined both of those prayer teams, and I started giving my money to those prayer teams too. Like I started to support some of the missionaries that we were sending out, and one of them for a short time was... Uh, the Stogsdale family. Mm, it was actually yeah. Troy's brother. Yeah, Troy's brother was sent to Kenya. Mm. And and so I was a part of the Stogsdale prayer team to Kenya, Africa.
0: Yeah, and Troy Stogsdale is the uh, yeah. pastor at New, New Philadelphia, First Baptist right. Church in New Philadelphia. Yeah. So
1: we supported Troy's brother as he went to Kenya. Wow. And then at, at that same time, uh, the missionaries were going to, to Mexico. Blake Anderson was mm-hmm. my roommate before he was married. And and so we we sent out Blake Anderson to Mexico and then Bob Matthews was going to the Middle East and then he was discipling uh, Wagi. Wow. And so I was a part of the Bob Matthews and Wagi prayer team.
0: Yeah. And Wagi ministers here in our city now. Yeah, He was in Egypt for a long time. Yeah. but uh, he's And he works with the Bible Institute in, right. uh, in Egypt. Yeah, that's very cool. So
1: this is the key thing that got me transferred to the global vision that, that God's calling me to be a, a missionary overseas mm-hmm. is that I was a part of prayer teams that were supporting and praying for missionaries who did go. Yeah. And, um, you know, when it got to the Middle East and Asia, and we saw the fruit of what happened in Egypt and and what God was doing, it it showed me the need in places where people have not yet heard the name of Jesus. Because mm-hmm. when we were reaching um, parts of Southern Africa and, and, and Mexico, those places have uh, a history of several churches. But when you consider Asia missions, that's obviously the most unreached part of the world where right. the, the strongholds and the, the places where people have yet to hear the name of Jesus, it began to move me in prayer and I had a prayer life. So really that's how God called me to be a, a missionary is that through prayer, mm-hmm. God would put India on my heart and I would begin to pray for every state and people of India. And it, it, be, it came from this verse. I'm gonna read a yeah, verse please. in Revelation chapter five. And God impressed on this verse the call for my life where he says in Revelation 5 and verse 9, it says that they sung a new song. And this is the scene in heaven when John is called up to heaven and he sees the future. He sees the rapture of the church up in heaven and John is witnessing the end times. And John says that he sees them singing a new song and they're saying, they're saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou was slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto our God kings and priests. We shall reign on the earth. And so when I saw that, I saw that that in heaven, there's going to be people from every uh, tribal group, every nation, every mm-hmm. language, every every ethnic group. And I thought uh, it's more than just praying for an individual nation, India, Cambodia. It's about the people groups that are living in that nation and i began to pray for every one of them and through prayer god gave me a fire of a of a passion of a of a desire to go Mm -hmm. but before i went i i gave my i started praying and giving my money to those those who already were there yeah and then one day god said you've given your money you've given your prayers
0: i want now to give your life and go yeah (laughs) yeah what that makes me think about is the idea that the more personal you make the mission Mm -hmm. uh the more power You'll, you'll have in your life and, and, and the sense of urgency that you need to actually be a participant. I think so many people keep mm-hmm. keep the idea of missions abstract and kind of far away and distant on purpose. They do that because they're afraid if they let mm-hmm. it too close to their heart that they might actually end up, you know, accidentally following God or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Having to do something that seems radical, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think, you know, so many American Christians are afraid of doing something radical for the Lord uh, or living a radical life, but uh, um, and that's that's what he wants. Yeah. So, how did you? Okay, so how mm-hmm. did you get to a place though? I mean, we we're talking about discipleship, and we're we're talking about how you got close to the mission. It became personal, and mm-hmm. and this this kind of flame, you know, was lit in your heart. What did the steps look like to getting you to India? Mm-hmm. And and really, why why India above? You know, instead of other places, why was that such an important place for you to be? Right. Well. I mean, India had
1: the most unreached people groups in the world when you would go through a prayer list in the books that I was given, mm-hmm. praying for the different parts of the world. So India stood out to me as the one that had the greatest need. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and hearing stories of missionaries in India, and then starting to give my money monthly to Indian pastors and orphans there, uh, they became my family even though I'd never met them. You know it's it's mm-hmm. kind of funny i reflect back on it from 20 years ago but i used to pray for india and indian pastors and every people group in india and god was putting india on in my heart through prayer but i remember not knowing the pastors but praying for them and seeing their face and seeing their story mm-hmm. uh, supporting orphans and seeing their picture and it was almost like p- people do today in 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 their uh, fantasy football drafts you know <laughs> right. like people pick their favorite running back and quarterback and receiver and they oh this is my guy you know and they they put so much time and energy into it it's all vain it's like empty and they're wasting their time but i put my time and energy into pastors in india and orphans in india and god says this is real you know Mm -hmm. but it it was only real through prayer you know Uh, and then it became real face to face after god says you prayed and you've given God says, let's make this real face-to-face, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then that relationship was already there. And so the, when I was giving to Indian pastors, that, there was a group of national pastors in India that were recommended to me as I grew up at our church at KCBT. It was called the, the Greater Grace Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So the Greater Grace Fellowship was a, a group of you know, very fruitful Indian pastors, and they had churches in several Asian countries. Mm-hmm. And so, I began a relationship with them. And so, long story short, uh, Greater Grace Fellowship became a group of churches that I could get connected to if I wanted to go to India. Mm-hmm. And I was already praying for them and already knew them through prayer. And so, then I made a better relationship with them. Went through some more training with their Greater Grace uh, missions training, and uh, and then long story short, they invited me to come. So the, okay, this is cool. the key, uh, Brandon, is that uh, when, when you go to a nation, obviously taking trips is important to make a relationship in those places, but but uh, the churches that exist already there, if you're not going to plant a new church with from scratch, mm-hmm. you're going to look at what is God already doing in that nation? What What churches are there that need to be strengthened, that need to learn discipleship, to what, what churches need to grow mm-hmm. and can I help them and would they invite me to come and, and they did. So the Indian pastors uh, called me on the phone and emailed me and, and they would talk with me uh, when I visited and they said, can you come and help us and be our assistant? And, and, and this was something that they never thought of before, a new thing for them, that uh, a foreign missionary could be not uh, the top guy, but right. the foreign missionary could come and be under them to support the work support the indian pastors and Mm -hmm. and uh so it really worked well you know yeah and so so when
0: you when you got there um what were some of the things that you were doing you know in order to support that local church
1: yeah so the church in in mumbai we um we helped with discipleship we we brought one-on-one discipleship we brought evangelism and we began to help some of the new like some of the young men in the church to become church planters. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly I noticed in the church that um, that no one was going into the slums because when you head into India, you, you see a lot of high-rise apartment buildings, you see the rich, but then right next to these high-rise apartments are just slums everywhere. It's just right in your face. The mm-hmm. people are living on the streets. Um, people are in very bad situations with little sanitation, little uh, running water. So as you walk through the city and you're meeting your friends in the church, you're walking right past, you know, yeah. like like the story of the Good Samaritan. You're you're walking by hundreds of people who are uh, on on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem mm-hmm. on the wayside. Yeah, yeah. And it, you want to just pass by because you're the priest on the way to something else. Mm-hmm. But then it just moves you. You know, yeah. I mean,
0: you've see, you've seen it when you went to India. I, I did, and I think one of the things that that really impacted me is that so we walked to church you you took us uh, on a walk to church one morning there in mumbai and after church was over you said hey i want to show you something and we really just crossed the street to Mm -hmm. get to a to a slum that was primarily comprised of muslims and we walked around in that slum Mm -hmm. because you wanted you wanted us to see an area that you had a heart for that's and right. uh, and I remember that so vividly. And, yeah. it, you know, I think there's a dynamic in India that's worth maybe if you can hit on for a second is this idea that that even if the caste system is not pronounced as something that, you know, I think a lot of Indians want to deny the fact that the caste system still kind of exists. They want mm-hmm. to pretend like mm-hmm. it's not there anymore. Right. Uh, but it's there culturally. Mm-hmm. And it even affects the way that, that Christians Uh, in india uh you know who they choose to do outreach to and how and how they you know conduct themselves and maybe you can talk about that dynamic a little bit and how as an outsider you were able to come in right and kind of tear down those walls in the way that you ministered
1: yeah well when i first expressed my desire to go into those slums i wanted to walk into that world Mm -hmm. and make friends and get to know them some of the other indians uh, who were the higher class indians said you know, be careful about those people, like watch out for the motivations of those people. Like, and because there's always a us versus them mentality in every nation you go, like Mm -hmm. it's those people, you know, that you should watch out for, you know? right? And so there was that separation of different worlds, people living in the slum, people living in a, in a high-rise apartment many times don't mix. And so um, sometimes it takes someone from the outside to come into a, a culture to say, hey, let's let's think about this, like a new idea, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we we took some of the disciples, including Ganesh. And uh, we'll we, talk more, I'll ask more about yeah, Ganesh here. so we night. went with Ganesh into the slums and and we started uh, going house to house, being invited into the homes, starting Bible studies in the homes, and just loving the people and, be, and becoming known by them, becoming mm-hmm. regular so that they knew to, they expected to see us every week as we walked into the slum. Because when you walk into a slum community, you meet one family, you meet everyone. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah, they make such a big deal about you coming coming into someone's home. Yeah, is such a big deal. And uh, I remember, you know, especially as a a, a foreigner there, that the love that people expressed to me, not even knowing anything about me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, giving me food and things that you know, Mm -hmm. it was actually difficult for some of these people to share. Uh, their food and their resources with you but because you were their guest they wanted to show you that love and it Mm -hmm. it was so much fun and the 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 platform for the gospel is so ripe right in an environment like that um and i want you to share some of that too i want you to share you know you always refer to them as grace stories yeah but i want to i want to hear you share some of your grace stories what were some of the things that god uh did and has allowed Mm -hmm. you to be a part of Uh, in India. And and maybe in that you can mention, you know, our dear Mm -hmm. friends Pradeep and and Ganesh and how God used you in their lives as well.
1: Yeah. So as we entered into the slums of Mumbai and we began Bible studies in the homes, uh, we did about five different slums, five different areas where we would would regularly go inside like on a weekly basis and they would get, get to know us and make friends and and I would walk into the middle of the slum and they would call my name. Hey, Doug, you're here, Douglas, mm-hmm. and uh, come to my home. And so sometimes I had the the joy of just picking who whose home to go into, you know, mm-hmm. and the the children and the t- actually the teenagers, you know, the teenagers who knew English mm-hmm. and many of the people knew English there. And so the teenagers would say, hey, come to my home, you know, and I'd have to choose which home to mm-hmm. go into that week. And then soon it became a regular home and they knew which home we were going to. Right. And and so the thing about it was, Brandon, is that they had idols in their home. They had several gods on the shelf. And uh, I, I never, God never gave me a direction to attack those gods, but rather to lift up Jesus Christ. Right. And as I was lifting up Jesus and lifting up the Bible, they were getting to know something new, the the true and living God. And mm-hmm. it usually took about six months for them to get it. and. After six months, those who were hungry enough to know God and, and made a choice to, to worship God would suddenly get rid of their idols. Yeah, you the,
0: know? one day you'd come in and they, yeah. all the idols were gone.
1: And so one of those families was the Solonki family. And so as we would go house to house and met the Solonki family, we were having a Christmas program. And the way we met them was we were passing out gospel tracts as we were walking through the slums and we were making great relationships, but there was one home in the slum that they were not home, you know? And so we put a gospel tract in their door mm. and then we just kept going. And And so we had our Christmas program and the Solonki family came to our church for the Christmas and we said, oh, we, we don't remember meeting you. And they said, well, we got a, a gospel tract in our door. Oh, you know? Wow. And so of all the energy we were spending on the whole, uh, all, all the people in the slum, only the Solanke family came to the actual church that day. And it, it was the one person that we did not meet. You not actually you
0: know? spoken to. <laughs> so,
1: so the Solanke family came to the church, they received Jesus, and they said, now start a Bible study in our home. Wow. So then a, a lot of the slum Bible studies that we had shifted to just their home. And so the other relationships we were making said, oh, now we're going to go to that home mm-hmm. because they're the ones that have received Christ. And... Now it's a disciple. Now it's discipleship Bible study. You know, yeah, absolutely. But but this is the what's so funny, Brandon over there, is that you can hardly ever have discipleship one on one. It's always group discipleship because there's no privacy. No, right. And so you want to disciple this new believer that's come, but then eight neighbors are also there. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, when you show up, they all want to hear. They all want to learn. Yeah, you know.
1: So when we made friendships in Mumbai. The people I discovered were always not from Mumbai. Mm-hmm. They were from a village. And that's why the slums develop in a place like India. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when when you see the poverty on the streets and the slums and the and there's a lot of trash everywhere and, and you know what? That's the smell of freedom. You know? Mm-hmm. I even though it's a lot of chaos, every time I would walk into the slums, I would praise the Lord because this is a free country. India is a free country mm-hmm. where you can have freedom to believe what you want to believe and and do what you want to do without too much control mm. and as we would walk into these areas we would meet people and they would say where what village they're from what what yonder state they're from like uttar pradesh and orissa and mm-hmm. and uh Maharashtra and, and Madhya pradesh rajasthan all these states that i had prayed for before i ever came to india right. these were in, close to my hearts and so as we would um uh, learn about where they're from. We, we would train them. We developed a a discipleship ministry and a, and then a Bible training, much like you have a Bible Institute here. Mm -hmm. We had a Bible Institute there in Mumbai and we would train these village uh, people who are living in the slums and say, now let's take this back where you're from. Mm -hmm. And that's one way that it worked out to eventually help plant churches in The and you went with us to see the the village ministries in Arissa. And we we went from village to village outside the city mm-hmm. and saw the the true india how india really lives out in yeah. the villages and saw the openness of the orissa villages we also went to uttar pradesh villages and so that's another story of what god did god took the city church and then planted village churches yeah um another story i have is as as we're starting our our church in the slums is that we actually met someone who did not fit into the society, someone who was not a typical Indian because we met a young man named Konchok, and he was from Tibet, China. And there are so many Tibetans who come down from Tibet into India for freedom mm. and that's what the, da- the Dalai Lama had done. Da- mm. the, the Dalai Lama, the leader of the Tibetan Buddhist and all those Tibetans have come into India and some of them make their way into Mumbai. Mm. And so we met this Tibetan young man named Konchok and he was, he was actually searching for God in a sense. Like he, he had a, a relationship with Buddhism, he, he had prayed to Buddha all of his life and one day Konchok looked at the statue of Buddha and he said, that, there's something wrong with Buddha, like he's not God, he's not hearing my prayers. Mm. And so Konchok made a decision, I'm going to study every religion and every God and find out which God, which one's true. You know mm-hmm. and when he prayed that prayer god led him to meet christians and god led him to different churches uh and and he met our church so he knocked on the door of of our church in mumbai and said can you tell me about jesus you know oh, wow. and so Koncho came to our church received jesus and uh and became a part of our church you know which was different for someone from the outside like a chinese tibetan to fit Mm -hmm. into the indian church yeah totally different um another story that happened was um when we went into the the villages of where our where our disciples were from they said you you've got to take this message to my uncles and my aunties and and so we traveled with them we we went to a village way in the north of india Mm -hmm. and i i remember just as it was yesterday, sitting in the darkness of the evening of of a place where there's no electricity in the villages Mm -hmm. and just sitting amongst the homes and sitting outside the homes of the village and people gathering around and and wanting to hear what my message is. Because this is an important point I was trying to make, Brandon, is that uh, the the need is still there in every generation for foreign missionaries to go on the field Mm. because um, a foreigner can reach Indians better than an indian can reach indians because Mm -hmm. it's a cross-cultural it's a love cross-culturally yeah and the same can be true of africans chinese you know uh, latin americans uh we always talk about how it uh you know the the latins can reach the latins and the chinese can reach the chinese and that's very true yeah but it's something special when someone has left their culture come and gone in a place where they're not from You get an audience because of that yeah yeah i
0: remember you know when we were in india and we were visiting um Mm. being able to tell the people um that god had sent you to them yeah you'd come from another place really far away right because god had had made it clear that you were supposed to yeah that um that has an impact yeah, You know, for people well, who've traveled, have not the, traveled outside of their villages.
1: It's an know. important thing that God taught me in a method as I would reach people is make sure that they're not America conscious, they're not foreigner conscious, that they're God conscious. Yes. Like immediately direct the attention to God and mm-hmm. say, I am not here because I'm some rich person that's come to give you money. The money is out of the issue. Like suddenly mm-hmm. they think, why are you here? I'm here because God has sent me. Yeah and suddenly they forget everything else, but who is this God that has sent you and what is his message? Right, right. And you get an audience, and and I had an audience with this whole village up in Uttar Pradesh in North India, and all the people were listening so intently, so like passionately to the story of Jesus. And when I came to the story of the cross, th- see, they, they had already gotten used to falling in love with Jesus as I told how wonderful Jesus was. Mm-hmm and how wonderful the true God who made Adam and Eve and how he came down to the earth to to come for us. But when I came to the cross, they they were really in despair and sad and crying that he, he came for, he's our hero. Th- thank God, God came to us, but you're telling me that he died? Mm-hmm. You know, like it became something that they were hearing for the first time. Yeah. I can still see their tears and remember how, um, they were really concerned for a while that, okay, it, he died, but then, so then what did he come for? He died for our sins, explaining the meaning of the death of Christ and say, don't worry because he rose again. He came alive again. He came out of the tomb and he's living today. He He's the only one that's come out of a tomb in all of history. He's alive today and he can hear your prayers because he's still living today and he's waiting for you in heaven. Mm-hmm. And you should have seen and heard the eruption of the applause, you know, of the whole village, like, oh, and especially the women in the village, like their tears are like turning into joy. And they're like, oh, wow. And like, oh, wow. And that hush of the and that Jesus rose from the dead. So they uh, rose their hands. I said, now, would you like to receive Jesus as your only God? And there was only about five or six people who rose their hands because they really had to think about it. They knew they knew that, okay, we have other gods and Am I really going to choose him as my only God? And five or six people were convinced, but I didn't convince them it was the Holy Spirit was mm-hmm. doing that and and so um, remembering those stories gives me a passion to realize that it's, re- it's real. you know I, I remember praying for years for this to happen, and then it came true and it, it was real face to face. But even before it really happened, it happened in prayer for me. Mm-hmm. It, re- it, ha- it was real in prayer and then it was real in in life yeah, man. That's, so, that's good. One, one more thing that happened in those villages is that we started to minister to brickmakers in those villages, and this was in Orissa. Mm-hmm. So when we went to the Orissa villages and, and Pradeep was helping us to do village pastor training, and you helped us with that. And as we would do that training, the pastors took us to the brickmakers in a village. So when you make bricks in India, you, you live near the brick kiln and your your whole family your your children are not being educated and you're living right next to the 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 ovens making the bricks mm-hmm. and they're migrant workers so we brought the church to them instead of expecting them to come to the church we brought the church to them you know mm-hmm. and that's another key thing that God's always taught me through the years is that never focus on your church building whether right. you're in America or you're in in India it's very tempting to focus on your church building instead of saying we're bringing the church to Kansas City. We're bringing the church to New Philadelphia, Ohio. Yeah, amen. And it's it's going to be on every street corner. Yeah. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing on the streets. You know, and uh, and so we brought the church to the brickmakers, and so we taught them. At, they received Christ and they started to learn the discipleship lessons that we gave them. And and by the way, you guys brought discipleship to us, mm. and they translated those the same discipleship lessons that you use here in Kansas City. They've translated it into the Arissa language, into the the Mumbai Hindi language, and they've been using them. Yeah, that's and right. And so these brickmakers were taking discipleship, just like you guys take discipleship here. And you know what they did? They, they always put a label on their bricks as to who made the brick, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they put LJC, Lord Jesus Christ Bricks. It became the name of their brick company. Wow. So... All over that village area, there was Muslims and Hindus building their homes with bricks. And the Muslims and Hindus had Lord Jesus Christ bricks, but they didn't know it, you know.
0: Each one of those bricks was a prayer (laughs) over that house. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. That's so amazing.
1: (laughs) So, and then we, then we marched on the streets and we, you know, in India, they take their gods on the back of a truck and they'll sing and bang their drums. And the India loves to have religious festivals. Yeah. And so they'll take the elephant god or the monkey god or the... The, there's different women God with eight arms and yeah. ten heads, mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll put that exorbitant statue on the back of a truck, and just go nuts on the streets and just dance to their to their gods, and and they block traffic, you know, for their Hindu festivals. Yeah. So the one of the pastors that I worked under in India, he said, "Hey, if the Hindus can do that for their gods, then we can do something for Jesus on the streets." Mm-hmm. And we we will not have an idol of Jesus because the Bible says don't have an idol, but we'll have our praise band on the back of the truck, Mm -hmm. you know. And you heard our praise band; they're pretty good. Yeah, so good. I mean, uh, the guitars and the drums and and the singers, and we sang praise songs in the Hindi language, and then we'd also do it in the Arisa village languages. And we began to block traffic for Jesus, you know. And my wife Bethany and I, uh, you know, would march with them on the streets and. And uh, we used to stop the, the the rickshaws and the taxis and but then people you've seen in India people are on the streets. This yeah. this type of thing may not work in in the States, but you can walk on the streets of India and you can meet, you know, five thousand people in two hours. Oh, it's incredible. By just natural walking through mm-hmm. the streets mm-hmm. and passing out the, the message of Christmas. We did it on Good Friday and Christmas, because those are the Christian holidays. Mm-hmm. So what's the meaning of Christmas? What's the meaning of Good Friday? All the Hindus and Muslims have heard of Good Friday and heard of Christmas, have no idea what it means. Right. So, this is our Christian chance to tell the world block traffic. You guys do it. We can do it. And we passed out the meaning of the holiday, Jesus Christ, and then got responses, got people calling on the phone. Who are you? I want to come to your church. And, and what, you know, with uh, Ganesh preaching from the back of the truck, you know, yeah. with the microphone. And the, and we got the police to escort us to protect us, you know, because the police know that the India has r- religious freedom. So the police protected our Christian uh, band from being uh, persecuted. Wow. And so Ganesh would preach from the back of the truck and the police would listen and protect him. And so our churches that we started in the slum, we started three churches in the slums, And uh, we have an assistant pastor that has been working under Ganesh Mm -hmm. for the last six, seven years now. His name is Manish. And Manish came because he received a gospel tract in that praise march in the year 2013. And so the fruit of a praise march down the street was an assistant pastor that was discipled and and then became the assistant pastor.
0: That's so cool. Now,
1: one more story that I have to tell you is that when we were going through the slums of Mumbai and knocking door to door, we knocked on a, a young man's door, and we heard a voice from inside the door, and his name was Arvind. So Arvind called from us from behind the door. He was paralyzed on his bed, and he said, come in. The door is open, right? So we walk into his little slum home, and he said he'd been paralyzed for 10 years. He, he, he remembered life before he was paralyzed, but he, only had his sis- he was living with his sister, and, and she's gone all day. And so he's alone. All day long, he's alone at home and we started sharing the love of Jesus with him and he had all the idols on the wall and he mm. he began to argue with us and talk about his gods and we didn't argue but just shared the love of Jesus and we said, we'll come back next week. And so week by week we met with him and he, we became his only friends in the neighborhood. No, nobody ever visited him. Mm. And so he slowly opened his heart to Jesus and he stopped arguing with us and just said, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, like I love Jesus. and we weren't sure if he was ready to commit or receive Jesus. We tried to get him to receive Jesus, but we wanted him to make the decision. So one day we said to him, we'll be back next week, and my wife is going to come meet you for the first time. She's a nurse, and so he was looking forward to meeting Bethany. Mm-hmm. We came back the next week, and we knocked on his door, and his sister opened the door. We had never met his sister. And his sister came to the door and said he passed away yesterday. Mm. We, we missed him him, you know? And so we thought, did he ever receive Jesus? He, he said that he was open to Jesus. And his sister said this, his sister said, before Arvin passed away yesterday, he told me that an, an American lady was going to come to the door with her husband and they were going to tell her about Jesus and that she should listen to Jesus because he's the true God, you know? So he received Jesus on his own, like without us praying with him, he, Somewhere along the line before he died, because he witnessed to his own sister that yeah. she should receive Jesus, yeah, and uh, and then Bethany got to share the gospel with the sister, you know, and it's people like that that you never forget that you're going to see in heaven, because <laughs> you know you go into a slum and who are you going to meet, you know, and uh, people need to hear about Jesus and see that it's real in our hearts, and so man, praise God that happened right there next to our church. And we just thank God for pastor Ganesh, who was there to help us with that. Yeah. Well, I guess what I want to close with our stories is that my wife and I cannot take credit for what happened. It's like, we feel when we showed up to India, we showed up at the right time and the right place where God was ready to do a work and we just were there. Mm-hmm. And we just got to participate, you right. know?
0: Yeah, that's so amazing. <laughs> and we want to pray that you have the opportunity to, to get back to India and. And continue with the work of discipling. That's that's the prayer mm. that we have um, yeah. for you right now. Is is that you you get back there and be able to continue what God started there um, long ago. So you know, one of the things I've always loved about you, Doug, is that is that you're a student of missions, and you you love to read about missions. And you're always telling me about a new book that you're reading and and um, and so you you came back uh, to the states this time, mm-hmm. very serious about your long list of, yeah. of of books that you've you've over the years gone to repeatedly. Um, that have had a lot of influence on you and I thought it would really be appropriate for us to have a conversation about some of the books and and mm-hmm. some of the stories that that we can read about that would be yeah. really encouraging and and uh, faith building. So maybe you can share some of these books with us and tell us why they're important to you. Sure. And we'll, and just for the listener's sake, we're going to provide a list, a long list of your very favorite books that you can that people can uh, open mm-hmm. up in, in this uh, podcast under the postscriptshow.com. You'll be able yeah. to find the list. Uh, on this episode yeah. of all the books that, that that Pastor Doug loves so much, right? So why don't you share some of those books with us?
1: Yeah, it's important to read missions books and missions biographies to to be inspired and to and to realize that God has been doing this work of missions and it's been transforming the world, transforming people in the world for years and years before we came along, mm-hmm. and we we stand on their shoulders and we can see how god has used missions in the past to change not only people but entire cultures right and how the that's a it's a narrative that's that's not talked about in the news you know we we talk about how there's a left wing and a right wing narrative to both to all mm-hmm. these issues mm-hmm. but there's also there's an upper wing narrative you know there's an up we're not right wingers and left wingers we're upper wingers yeah and when you get into god and the missions that he's doing in the world through jesus You see, God is doing something entirely different than what's talked about in the news. And that's why one of my favorite books to read is this one called India, the Grand Experiment. And it's by an Indian pastor. Mm -hmm. His name is Vishal Mm Mangawati. So you always want to hear about what God's doing through a native pastor instead of a foreigner because you want to hear uh, how they've experienced the transformation. And then they can speak to us because... When they look at the West or nations that uh, living in the West, we could say we're in, we're we're swimming in a fishbowl of our culture, and we're not av- even aware of what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. But someone can come from the outside and say, "This is what's happening in your culture." Yeah, yeah. Because I see it from the outside, and yeah. so that's why I love this guy Vishal Mungawadi. Yeah, and the book that he, many books he writes, this one, India: The Grand Experiment. So yeah. this teaches the history of missions in India from William Carey. Even before William Carey, and then through the Bible translations that happened, through the mm-hmm. social change that happened as movements of people came to Christ, there was social change that happened. There was development. There was education. There was hospitals. There was charity. There was the dignity of man. There was there was engineering. You know, yeah. all these these things that we study in college have their source in God. Eng- God is the engineer. You mm-hmm. know. And how would we learn how to engineer if God wasn't the engineer first? And so engineering from Christians and farming and and Bible translation, education came. And so when you read a book called India, The Grand Experiment by Vishal Mungawadi, you find out that India is the best country all over the world for, to be a social laboratory. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if you went to a, a chemistry laboratory, you'd want to experiment and put in this chemical and that chemical to see what response happens. And so, India, God has allowed India to be the best example in all of history because obviously, Hindu has been uh, the Hindus have ruled India and and then Buddha is from India and Buddhism ruled India for a long time. And the Mughal Empire ruled India for about 300 years and mm-hmm. the Muslims had their dominance. And what, uh, what development, what blessings have Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus brought to India? And then you see what the Christians did when they came to India. Now, the, the thing that's interesting to, to learn is you hear about redemption because uh, man has is, man is fallen into sin and so when the British first came to India, mm-hmm. they were greedy capitalists who were abusing and, and using India. But when that first uh, greedy generation died off that had uh, taken India as a colony, they died, and then the next generation that came into India from the British uh, had a revival of of, of, a, of a need to have a Christ-like love for India. Mm-hmm. Because of the revivals of the Great Awakening right. with Wesley and Whitfield and, and all the preaching that happened in England and in America, there was a new a new movement of people who would go to india even as civil servants mm-hmm. and you had people like jonathan gilchrest and and william mm-hmm. wilberforce who mm-hmm. trained a lot of people who went to india and said let's let's treat india as a stewardship from god and let's let's give india her independence and get her ready for independence by allowing her to have education charity hospitals development and the gospel of jesus christ everywhere yeah, yeah. and you find that that the blessings that India has today are from those Christian missions that mm-hmm. developed it as a nation. Because before Christians came to India, there was no India. It was several kingdoms with no yeah, unity. There,
0: it's, I mean, it's fractured now, but it was yeah. more more so before the modern missions moved Yeah, yeah, and and so I want to sure. for our listeners' sake, you know, if that interests you at all, and the history of. Uh, missions in India is is of interest. Um, you know, I encourage you to go back and listen to the episode I did with James Fife. We talked about modern missions and primarily focused our attention on William Carey and right. and what he brought to a missions perspective. And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, uh, Vishal Mangwaldi Mangwaldi is right. uh, an author that you recommended to me a while back right. because he wrote the book that made your world, right. which is a fantastic yeah. um, warning to the West mm-hmm. uh, not to not to throw away the Bible because yeah, it's really the the thing that underpins everything who we are and and, um, our philosophies and our perspectives and our ability to be blessed yeah and uh his desire is that that same truth would be had in in india as well right powerful powerful author so continuing on that same
1: uh that same line of thought is that there's a book called let there be india by babu vargis and so let there be india is talking about how when in the book of Genesis God said let there be light and it was so and God spoke things into existence. So India became a nation and India became educated through Bible translators. Mm-hmm. When when William Carey and others who came through they would translate the Bible and it would standardize the language so that when you travel from one village to the next it was the same standardized text that people were learning to read and education came afterwards and many books after the Bible came. So every major language in India, uh, now this is actually proven and documented by an Indian, so this is not a foreigner trying to say what happened, but this is an Indian saying, we Indians wanna thank those Bible translators for giving us standardized languages to bring education Mm -hmm. and development to make us a nation, to give it identity as India. And he discusses, uh, like for example, you have the Bengali language, the Urdu language, and then the Orissa language are three examples. And the Bengali language became the language of Bangladesh, mm-hmm. the Urdu language became the language of Pakistan, which was all India before. Right. Yeah. And so today you have two Muslim nations who are existing with great education in Urdu and Bengali that never would have had their standardized language and written education if it wasn't for Bible translators. Wow. So Muslim nations should thank God for Bible translators who helped their language to become uh, such a great language. And then the same thing happened in Orissa where you've been with me in Mm -hmm. the villages. The Orissa people had a missionary named Amos Sutton. Mm -hmm. And he has another book that I'm gonna put on our list about the narrative to Orissa. And he talks about how the change came in Orissa when the Bible was translated there because the Orissa people were very despised by all the other groups of India. And they said their, you know, their language is like a, a a corruption of ours, and you should forget their language and their culture, and let's just absorb them into the other groups. And Orissa was saved as a as a state and as a people group because of the Bible translator. Who, when the Orissa Bible came with Amos Sutton, people saw their language was exalted and their people group was was respected because mm-hmm. they had a Bible right. and then they had other books in their language. And so today, Arissa State exists because of the Bible translation, mm-hmm. whereas people, many of the Hindus are trying to kill the Christians there. But instead, I try to encourage the Christians, hey, orissa would not even exist if it wasn't for the Bible.
0: Yeah, wow. That's so, great.
1: Yeah. Now, and other books quickly that uh, are books that I'm recommending that I won't tell the stories, but these books, like, for example, Cloud of Witnesses by Mark Knoll, these are the type of books that you read and you open and see that there's 15, 20 chapters of different missionary stories. Mm-hmm. And these are about na- native missionaries. So if you want the best book to learn who are the most amazing Christians in the last 100 years in Africa, Asia, Latin America, it's called Cloud of Witnesses. Yeah. So it's important for us not to just hear missionary stories from the from America or Britain but to hear wh- what are the stories of the people who become Christians in the in Africa and Asia right. and what did they have to live through to see Christ exalted in their lives and to be used as a national mm-hmm. testimony
0: yeah I, I just bought this book after okay you, you shared it with me the other day it's looks so good and and an easy read because each chapter mm-hmm. reflects on a different character so yeah, it, it, and then it's fascinating. The
1: next one's called uh, Ambassadors for Christ by John Woodbridge. And so this is another one similar that every single nation in the world who has been the key... Um, now this is the the foreign missionaries, some of the, the Western missionaries who have gone, and it's, it's every single key missionary, not just missionaries and church planners, but people from every walk of life, People from different business backgrounds and international skills, mm-hmm. and what they brought to the world through the name of Christ, uh, in in many different ways besides church planting, uh, because we find that as we're church planting, we also need to show charity. We need to have a vessel of relationships, and that usually is starting you know charities in different ways, right. and many of them are discussed in ambassadors. Yeah, touch points for where
0: we convince people of the love of Christ. Um, yeah. not just talk about it, but show it as well. And then the the next
1: book is one that was recommended by Dr. Chris Best when he told me about his favorite missionary book. Mm -hmm. It's called Giants of the Missionary Trail. Mm. And once again, this is about uh, 10 different stories of some of the, now these are some of the most uh, transformational missionaries who went to Africa, Asia, Latin America in the last 200 years. But these are people that you never heard about because Mm. we know some of the famous ones like William Carey, but who ever heard of George Grenfell, who went to the Congo, you know, right. back in the 1800s, and how he had to deal with uh, the persecutions there, mm-hmm. and how the church was born in the Congo, wow. and amongst many stories. So the the Giants of the Missionary Trail is by uh, Eugene Harrison, and then finally I'll finish with this. This book is called By Their Blood. So this is important for everyone to read because. We hear stories of martyrs in the Christian church, like the early church of Polycarp Mm -hmm. and Perpetua, and we hear about how William Tyndale was burnt at the stake for translating the Bible in the 1500s, and these things move us. But many of us today don't know that in the 20th century, in the 1900s, more Christian martyrs were killed for their faith in Jesus than all the previous centuries combined. Man. And so the question is, who were they? I mean, we don't hear too much about their names. Maybe we hear, we hear so many Christians were killed in China or India that we don't know their names. And so this is actually a thick book by James and Marty Hefley. And this has chapters for every nation of the world. And in the last hundred years specifically, who died there for the name of Jesus. Not just for some political movement, but they died for their faith of preaching the gospel. Wow. Who were they, and s- some of their stories? Not just their names, but who, like who, who were they, and why did they die, and and where were they killed, and then what happened after they died? What the because the I mean, um, church history says that uh, the 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 seed of the church is the the blood of the martyrs yeah. is the seed of the church, yeah. and and so sometimes God allows some of His servants to die for His name. Uh, so that the message would be furthered for the gospel mm-hmm. so
0: so powerful to read those stories book. those are all great books and again there's there's something like i don't know 30 some odd 40 some odd books that that doug really wants to recommend and so we want to make that available yeah. to you uh, at the postscriptshow.com um, as we close our show uh doug you know maybe you could share some things with our young leaders Uh, who may feel a call towards missions or an inkling Mm -hmm. towards missions in their life. I know that you've talked about the significance of prayer and the significance of getting familiar Mm -hmm. with the foreign mission field and and really studying and giving your finances. And these are all things that were impactful for you. But maybe um, you could give some more advice, other areas uh, of preparation, that a, a young person or someone considering the field might think about mm-hmm. uh, as they're getting ready to go what are some things that are helpful that that any pre- preparing missionary might need to know
1: yeah well I mean one obvious practical tip is to get an ESL degree or an ESL one-year training to get a certified to be an, e, an English as a second language teacher because mm-hmm. I've used that overseas we've we've started English clubs and and taught in schools and been Rec- you know, recognized by the governments over there to teach English. And mm-hmm. so get that ESL training. And then second of all, for character, I would say um, you know, learn to have an active empathy to serve in the church and, and to help the church serve the world because uh, it's, it's a humility that realizes that you, you cannot be the hero missionary. You cannot do all this work. It's, it's just learning to serve the church mm-hmm. and learning to help the church serve the world and to be in the background. And uh, in, many times when I come back to the States, I people will say, oh, w- what a great missionary. I keep on telling people, I've always been in the background serving and, and helping the church to reach the world, but never uh, trying to take the credit because God is the one that's doing the work. Yeah. And learning that humility in your life that uh, that you're, you're helping the church to serve the world, help, helping the church to get out in the community and you're, you're there to, to clean the church, to, to, uh, to disciple people when it's dirty and it's not mm-hmm. so much you know point one, point two, but it's like getting into their lives and helping them when they fail, expecting disciples to fail instead of expecting them always to succeed. Mm-hmm. And then expecting after they fail that they'll rebound and yeah. that they'll repent by grace and they'll right. learn the, the obedience soon after that. Mm-hmm. Learning these type of lessons to prepare yourself to be a missionary. Um, other um, practical things I would recommend is to stay single you know Mm -hmm. now certain people God does lead them to their uh, spouse very early in life but there's some people who get a call for missions and it's important for them not to marry someone who's not called to missions and so I would recommend to just enjoy your single life you know I was I was 39 years old before God brought my wife to the mission field and I Mm want to maybe close with some of this advice is that um, God gave me this call to be a missionary, and I had some opportunities to 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 date and to get married before I went to the mission field. Mm-hmm. And that always can be God's plan. But in my life, it wasn't God's plan until i he God wanted me to go to the mission field first and to live on four hundred dollars a month support, mm-hmm. you know to go by faith, to be sent to be sent by the church. But as I go by faith, people finding out, hey, did you know that Doug? Was sent to India, and then people contacting me, and then the support came after I. The I needed more support, but that support didn't come until after I was sent and I went to India. Yeah, you'd already committed to the work, and I was single, so I could live on four hundred dollars a month. You know, right? And then reaching into the slums, I was single. I was available for the people to pour my life into the people's lives, and then as I was following God and just enjoying being single, I finally got that contentment because sometimes I would pray, I would say, God, are you going to send me a wife? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, I wanted to be married, but I was also enjoying my life as a single. And, and there are many people listening today who are still single. You know, maybe you'll never get married and praise the Lord, you can enjoy your life as a single mm-hmm. and you can pour your life out for the world and so stay single. But at be involved in the ministry. Don't just be single and say, well, I, you know, I am don't have a settled life of, uh, you know, I, I say to people, if you're going to buy a home, be ready to sell it. You know, like yeah. buy a home so that you can make a profit in selling it five years later. Yeah. Don't settle your life down if you have a call for missions. Buy a home, sell the home, and then move. And then I found my wife on the mission field. So as we were serving in, in the churches and we were starting an orphan home, uh, Bethany showed up and we were on the same mission team together and I found God had called her to India separate from me and God put our calling together mm-hmm. and then we got married uh, after being on the mission field and then served together and so these are
0: practical things that yeah, you have to think good. about yeah well Doug I know I know that you've got a million things that you could share with us and hopefully you know we'll do another episode sometime and you can do that but I want to thank you so much for being with me today being my friend being such a good example to me all these years and i'm grateful for the grace of god on your life it means a lot to me so man thanks for hanging out with us
1: it's been a great time to talk with you and and thanks for letting me share our stories because it's just it's so redeeming for me to think about what god has done
0: Mm -hmm. and and a a poor lonely boy from wyandotte county you know so good well (laughs) thanks again brother love you man and we want to thank you as well for joining us uh, for this episode of the Postscript, we do pray that it was an encouragement to you, and and that it's got you thinking about stuff. Hopefully, your heart is uh, is also burning uh, for the mission, and you're thinking about, man, what's heaven going to look like with with all of those ethnicities and tribes and nations that are present there? Um, how can I be a part of reaching the world with the gospel? And and I, I pray that that's on your mind. Um, again, if you've got questions about how to get training and how to prepare yourself for the mission field or for church planting, Uh, we want to encourage you to visit lfbi.org and check out the classes that Living Faith Bible Institute has to offer. You know, LFBI is built for you to continue to minister in your local church. Don't skip a beat there. We don't want to send you away to some seminary or or cause you to disrupt what God's already doing in your life. We want to come alongside you and help train you with your, with your local church, and and we believe that that uh, you could grow into be exactly what God wants you to be in terms of leadership in the mission. So lfbi.org is where we want to send you, but we want to thank you so much for hanging out with us for this episode of The Postscript, and we hope to see you and hang out with you again next week. God bless.